If someone asked you to distill who you were into one sentence, could you do it? We all often perform parts of ourselves, don't we, at at work or at school or at home, and they're authentic parts of us, but they're still just parts of us. But if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning or in the long, dark tea time of the soul, would you be able to say who you are at your core? I would struggle. It would be Tuesday, I'm an extrovert. Wednesday, I'm a curmudgeon, perhaps. Sarah Kubrich is an existential psychotherapist, and she's the author of a book called It's On Me, in which she explores the deceptively simple questions, who am I and why am I here? Sarah, big welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, these are big questions, aren't they? But they can seem uh, difficult and abstract. Tell us a bit about the moment you realised you needed to find the concrete answers for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. In my early 20s, I remember I was on a vacation with my sister and it was a nice break from reality. And by the way, if you need a vacation to be a nice break from reality, that's usually a pretty good sign. You you might not be living um, an authentic life. But I remember being in LA and flying back to Vancouver, Canada, where I was living at the time. And as I buckled my seatbelt on the flight, I Um, I started to sweat and my vision went blurry and I realized I was experiencing a panic attack. And it was a moment of visceral, unescapable realization that I really didn't want to go back to the life I was living, that it was not a life that I wanted, that it was not a life that reflected who I thought I was, and that it was not a life that I owned. Um, And it was a really disorienting realization for me because I was in grad school, I was married, I was part of my community, I was doing all the things that stereotypically look like you have your life together. Well, yes, you write at at one point in the book that by the age of nine, I had survived the Bosnia and Kosovo wars. And you relate how, Mm. you know, you you felt that you weren't being grateful enough for just being alive and healthy and living in Canada. How much of that sense of not having a solid core self can be traced back in some people to a, a real significant trauma? I think that's definitely one of the causes. So, you know, I talk about three causes in the book. One is a significant life event. And, you know, a significant life event can be a trauma. It can also be motherhood. It can also be a different type of transition. Um, The other cause is modeled behavior, family rules, you know. And I think for me, the self-loss started when I was a child But I think in the book, I talk about how in my 20s, my 20s were almost more painful than my childhood trauma. And part of that reason was my own participation. The fact that I was inflicting pain on myself and not taking ownership. Well, when I was a child, I didn't have a choice and I was a victim. And so it's an interesting thing to understand of like before I didn't have a choice and now I'm acting like I don't have a choice and that's on me. Uh, In your book, Sarah, you sometimes capitalize the word self. Perhaps we should talk about what you mean by different kinds of self. Yeah. So I don't think self is something we find. I think oftentimes we talk about like, find yourself as if we go into a closet, pick out a sweater, put it on, and then we live in it for the rest of our lives. I think the self is something that we consciously create through our actions, specifically through the way we use our freedom, make choices, take responsibility. And I don't think the self can be independent of self-expression. So when I talk about the the capital self, it's when your thoughts and perception of who you are align with how you act. So if you think you're a thoughtful, kind individual, but then you notice that in a lot of contexts, you're not kind and thoughtful. I think there is that discrepancy and that dissonance and that wouldn't be your higher self. The way you're expressing yourself is not authentic. 
Um, and so I talk about authenticity as owning yourself and being like, this is me in this moment and how I'm acting aligns with how I perceive myself. So do we, in a sense, reverse engineer our definition of our true self by looking at how we are in the world? Absolutely. I think self-expression is such a great question. I think self-expression will lead you to understanding. So you can have a concept, but if you're not acting that way, that will give you feedback and you'll go, okay, I'm actually not the person I think I am. There is room for adjustment, for growth, or you might be pleasantly surprised by your own actions. Tell us a bit about what you had to change, Sarah, in order to to kind of let this true self be. There were some big things that you adjusted, weren't there? Yeah, a lot. I actually think for me, and it doesn't always have to be this dramatic, so I don't want to scare people off, but I really felt like I unraveled. Um, I think, you know, I got divorced. I took a pause from my graduate studies for about six months. I went back to Serbia um, where I experienced the bombings and I just, you know, I walked through my old town. I spoke to people. I tried to kind of work through my trauma while physically being there. And then I let go of a lot of people in my relationships, especially people who didn't actually want to see me for who I am, but liked the way I was coping. So being an overachiever and what they can get from me as I was functioning kind of in that role. When you talk too about having to grieve a bit as well for for the lost self that you had not not discovered until then. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was very difficult. It was frustrating, but I think I grieved for the childhood that I didn't have in a very stereotypical sense. I grieved for the fact that I didn't have myself for 24 years and that was really really sad. And then I was also grieving the, you know, the inauthentic self that I got used to and I had to let go of. And I think grief is such a normal part of this process, especially because I think yourself is always evolving, always changing, and it's meant to. I really hope that, you know, you're not the same person in 10 years from now, even if you're a great person. Um, And so I think there's always that sense of loss when it comes to being authentic and trying to grasp your sense of self. Well, and if people don't want to, you know, unravel their entire lives, leave their marriage yes. and their workplace and their Nor studies. Nor should they no. at all times, <laughs> right? What, what are some ways that we can take those little steps to say, okay, h- how do I match my external life with what I'm starting to discover about who I am? Yeah, and I think the biggest step is... Um, being aware of what that is. So I talk about, you know, the mind and in your emotional world, emotionality and your body. And I think we have such strange relationships with these aspects of ourselves that one of the biggest steps is just being aware of like, I'm experiencing this emotion. What is it trying to communicate with me? Or, you know, my body's not just an object or a tool or a vessel. It's actually who I am. And just trying to really change our relationships with aspects of us so that we can hear clearly enough of what works, what doesn't, and then, you know, being brave enough to try things out and and see if it works. <laughs> We're speaking with Sarah Kubrich, who's the author of a book called It's On Me, and the subtitle is Accept Hard Truths, Discover Yourself mm-hmm. and Change Your Life. And it sounds very kind of stirring, I have to say. It's this beautiful call <laughs> to action to, to look inside you and then take that knowledge outside. But Sarah, where is the line between what we can change in our own lives and the systems around us that limit our agency, whether that's patriarchy, racism, class, attitudes to disability, How free are we as 
individuals when we're also members of a society and an economy, for example? Yeah, absolutely. And I really do hope that if you're interested in this topic, you'll read the book because um, a concise answer, I think, will be more triggering than anything. But (laughs) I propose there that we're always free. However, we're free within the parameters of our context and what has been done to us. So when I say we're always free, I mean, sometimes we don't have a lot of freedom, but all we have is freedom of our attitude, freedom of the narratives we construct in our minds, freedom of how we show up, even though we can't change the patriarchy, for example. And so I think we have varying degrees of freedom but the little that we do have in some contexts, we're still responsible for. Yeah, we can chip away. We can chip away at the page. We can chip away. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Well, and we were talking before about small ways that we can look inside ourselves and discover who we are. What are some uh, strategies you might give someone, Sarah, to look at those those amounts of choice that we do have and, and work out more authentic ways to make those decisions? Yeah, I think choice is incredibly overwhelming, especially if you're not 100% sure, you know, who you are or not, or really struggling to connect, because then you don't have an automatic filter that goes into this aligns or doesn't. You're trying to make very objective, perfect decisions that ultimately don't actually exist. You need to find a decision that's aligned with you. And for me, I think that's just about getting to know yourself. Think about going on a first date. Think about making a friend asking those basic questions, paying attention to their body language, to their tone, to their patterns, and just sort of replicating that process with yourself. And sometimes I say, you know, um, you can ask yourself, what did I learn about who I am today? I think that's such a great reflection question if you want to do something that takes like five minutes every day that kind of gets you started. Margaret's texted in, simple, I'm a pagan scientist, covers everything. I'm glad you have reached that level of self-knowledge, Margaret. We're speaking with Sarah Kubridge. And Sarah, <laughs> just before we finish up, you, you write about the importance of becoming the central character in our own lives. How do we do yes. that while also acknowledging other people's uh, need and right to to exist and make choices and have experiences <laughs> and emotions. So we don't want to have you know too much main character energy. Yeah, how do we do this without becoming selfish and self centered? I think is how a lot of people phrase that question. But I like it. Um, I think it's about taking ownership of how you're showing up in the world, taking ownership and responsibility of how you're taking care of yourself. But it's also about understanding how you're impacting those around us. You are also constructing someone else's reality. You're also constructing someone else's obstacles to being their best version of themselves. And so I think it's just about really ownership. That's what I mean when I say be the main character and take responsibility for this main character. And Julie texts in with a a lovely summary to finish up with. Being truthful with ourselves is always emotional and always a reality check. We can listen to it Mm. or ignore it. The truth, however, will always wait patiently to be faced. And that is certainly the take home from uh, Sarah's story in uh, the book It's On Me. Sarah, great to chat with you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Sarah Kubrich, the book's called It's On Me, Accept Hard Truths, Discover Yourself and Change Your Life. She is an existential psychotherapist. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.